Very good. Appreciate that. Turn, if you would, this morning to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is where we're going to begin this morning. And as you're finding your place there, let me just let you know this, that I will be referencing a few different verses of Scripture today. And if you want to make the effort to turn to each of those, you can. Or you can choose to trust that I'm telling you the truth. Uh, whatever you want to do, that is certainly up to you. But Hebrews is where we're going to start. Let's pray, and then we'll continue. Father, we are glad that we can be here today. I am thankful, Lord, for the music that we've enjoyed already. Lord, the special was a, a good challenge to, to move on and let the past be in the past and to, to sing about the old rugged cross. Lord, there's, there's just so many truths in that song that are a blessing if we'll think about it. But God, we're here today to hear from your word, so I pray that you would use me to speak your word in a way that would be a help. God, that you would speak to hearts however you would see fit. I pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. Before we get to the message, I want to explain why we're going to be in the passage that we're going to be in today. Years ago, when our, first, when our family first came here, uh, it was the tradition of the church to spend the first Sunday or the second Sunday of March uh, emphasizing the subject of missions. And for many years, that is what happened. But over time, as things changed and as things kind of evolved, uh, we kind of got away from that. And so this morning, since we're not in our study of Ephesians, because that was completed a couple of weeks ago, as I was praying and preparing for this morning and what I should present to us, it was like the Lord reminded me that it's okay if we give some extra attention to the subject of missions. And so this morning and tonight, that's really what the messages are going to deal with. It's what they're going to be revolving around. But I want to say this also, that it may not be the most traditional of sermons by way of missions for this reason. It is impossible to concern ourselves with worldwide missions until we have concerned ourselves with local missions. It is impossible to have a burden for the world until we have a burden for Pampa. And so this morning and tonight, that's kind of going to be the emphasis of the, the sermons, not missions from the grand scheme of things, from the macro side of things, but missions from the micro, the smaller side of things. And so with that understanding, I'd like to begin this morning by making a statement that I believe to be biblical by way of principle. The statement is this is that I believe that I have a personal responsibility to be a good steward of what God entrusts me with. I believe that I have a personal responsibility to be a good steward of what God entrusts me with. To make that same statement just a little bit simpler, to make it a little bit easier to understand maybe, here is how I could also say it, that if God allows me to have something in my possession, it's my job to take care of it. And that applies in every area of my life. 
So it doesn't matter if we're talking about the cars that my family drives. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the home that my family lives in. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the clothes that my family possesses. Whatever God has entrusted me with by way of a possession, I have a responsibility to be a good steward of it. So that being the case, let me further illustrate this thought so that it'll make sense in a couple of moments. But in this responsibility that I have to be a good steward of what I have been entrusted with, there is a difference between what I can do versus what is reasonably expected of me. Does that make sense? And what God has entrusted me with, by way of what I have in my possession, there is always more that I could do to be a good steward of it. But just because I could do more does not mean that that is a reasonable expectation on me. Let me explain. Every week... I require of myself and Susie and the kids, the girls, I require of them every week to wash the car and to vacuum it out. Well, why would I do that? Because those are possessions that we've been entrusted with. And so every week we're going to wash the car. We're going to vacuum out our cars. We're going to take care of them. Now, now this is just my position. That is a reasonable expectation for us. But see, here's the comparison to that or the contrast to that. Could we wash the cars every day and vacuum them out every day? Well, we could. But that's not really a reasonable expectation. I could say to Susie, okay, every morning when you wake up, I want you to vacuum the house. More could be done, but what would be reasonable is let's straighten up the house real good at least once a week, just kind of finishing off what we try to do throughout the week and the littler things and the smaller things. Just make sense? We take care of what we have by way of being a steward is more able to be done, yes, technically it could be, but there is a, a level that you have to say, okay, this is what is reasonable as opposed to what is now no longer reasonable. Somebody says, whatever, what does that have to do with anything? Again, we'll get back to that in a couple of moments, but notice if you would this morning in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 is where we're going to start, and I know that this is a familiar portion of Scripture to every one of us who have been in church very long at all. Maybe new to some of you, but it's a very important verse of Scripture that we're going to deal with. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 27, here's what the writer declared some 2,000 years ago. He said, And as it is appointed unto men once to die. And as it is appointed unto men wants to die. You know this, most of you do as well as I do, that here is what the scripture declares, that every person who walks on this earth has an appointment with death. Every person who walks on this earth, they have an appointment with death. 
I've said this in funerals on many occasions over the years, that that is an appointment that will be kept by everyone. That is not an appointment that we're going to postpone. That is not an appointment that is going to be delayed. That is not an appointment that we're going to cancel and say, you know, I don't really want to experience that. No, death is an appointment that everyone who walks on this earth has. Now, only God knows when that appointment is going to take place. We don't know that. But everyone in this world who walks on this earth has an appointment with death. So think about how specific that truth is. If you are married this morning, here is what that means. That means at some point in your life, your spouse has an appointment with death. One day, your spouse is going to breathe their last breath, and they are going to enter into eternity. That's how it's going to work for your spouse. Outside of the rapture, the return of Christ, they'll not escape that appointment with death. Your children have an appointment with death. From the moment our children entered into this world, guess what? They already had an appointment with death established by God. So the fact that Susie and I have been blessed with three children, we don't know when that appointment is, but the reality of it is this for us. At one point in the future, our kids are going to take their last breath and they will enter into eternity. It's as true of my children as it is your children. Our children are going to die one day. Grandchildren will one day die. Parents, obviously, will one day die. Friends will one day die. Co-workers are going to die. Neighbors are going to die. There is no one in this world who escapes death. We understand this, do we not? The scripture says, It is appointed unto men once to die, Everyone has an appointment with death. No one escapes it. It's going to happen to us and everyone we have ever come into contact with. That's the reality of life that will die. You go on to look in this verse, and here's what it says. It says, but after this, the judgment... After this, the judgment. What does that mean? Well, again, the writer is just making this point clear. The, the writer is making this point known that when a person dies, they are going to stand before God. When a person leaves this life, when a person passes from this life and enters into eternity, the scripture makes it known they are going to stand before God and give an account for this life. Now, let me be very clear on this, that there is much that can be said about the subject of judgment, all right? Multiple sermons could be preached on that moment when we'll stand before God and give an account. But let me just say this because of where the message is headed. Ultimately, when we stand before God, here is what will be determined whether or not a person spends eternity in a place called heaven or in a place called hell. 
At the end of one's life, those are the only two eternal options available. A person will either spend eternity in heaven or they will spend an eternity in hell. Now, as I've said before, and many of us have heard from other people, some of you have said this yourself, we know this, that there are many people who question or doubt the eternity of heaven or hell, their existence, but it doesn't matter whether or not a person questions it, the scripture declares it to be so. So a person may say, well, I really don't know, or I don't really believe, or some people may even go so far as to say, man, you're crazy. You can't possibly believe in such a thing called heaven or hell. Let, let me just remind us, the Bible says we'll all stand before God one day. We're going to give an answer for the life that we lived, and we'll either enter into heaven or hell. According to the scripture, that is the end of the discussion. So then the question by any rational person would be this. If heaven and hell is real and if it exists and we as Bible believers say it does, then the question would have to be, how do I get to heaven? If I don't want to go to hell when I die, how do I get to heaven? If I'm a young person and I've got an appointment with death and I'm going to stand before God, how do I make sure that I get to go to heaven when I die versus going to hell? If I'm a young adult and I've got an appointment with death and I don't know when that appointment is, how do I make sure that when I die I'll go to heaven versus hell? Right on down the line, if anyone were to say, I want to go to heaven when I die, whenever that appointment is, how do I know that I can get there, the answer is laid out for us in Scripture. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 lets us know this, that it is by grace that we are saved. The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In John chapter 14, we mo most of us know this, I should say, uh, it was Christ himself who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How is a person saved? How is a person able to go to heaven when they die? How is a person able to skip the, the eternal awfulness of hell when they die? This is the only way that it can be done is when they place their faith in the work of Jesus Christ. They recognize that they are a sinner incapable of saving themselves. When they call out to God and say, God, save me, that is the only way a person can get to heaven when they die. See, there are a lot of people, and you know this as well as I do, there are a lot of people who have said, well, I'm going to get to heaven by being a good person. Good people don't make it to heaven. Somebody says, well, I'm going to get to heaven by being, by being religious. Let me remind you, religious people don't go to heaven. Someone says, well, I'm going to start going to church and I'm going to clean up my act and I'm going to stop talking this way and I'm going to stop doing these things and, and that's going to get me to heaven. No, it will not. 
The only thing that will get a person into heaven when they die is if they have placed their faith in Christ and Christ alone. Anything outside of faith in Christ and him alone is a man-made, man-manufactured religion, and it will fall short on that day. So the scripture says, there's an appointment with death that everyone has. After this death, there will be a judgment. The scripture teaches that there's only one of two options available by way of eternity. It's heaven or hell. And the only way a person can be saved is when they have placed their faith in Christ and him alone. Nothing else, nothing that we do will never be good enough to save ourselves. But let's turn, if you would, this morning to 2 Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we read some important words. 2 Peter chapter 3, here's what you find is that Peter is writing about the end of the world and how it's going to one, one day be destroyed. How many of us know that one day this earth is going to be destroyed? Yeah, and it doesn't matter what the environmentalists do today to try to stop it. It's going to happen. Environmentalists are not keeping this world preserved, and they're not going to keep it from being destroyed. As I've said before, we can all drive SUVs, and it's not going to change anything. The only reason, though, that the world has not yet been destroyed is explained in verse number 9. Notice what he said, Peter did, in verse number 9. He said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, meaning God's not going to fail to follow through on what he has declared. But he said, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. You know why the earth has not yet been destroyed? The earth has not yet been destroyed because God is a patient God. God is a God who is very long-suffering in his interactions with mankind. So he said that God is not slack, or the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward as mankind. Now watch this not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know why this world hasn't been destroyed yet? Because God wants men and women to be saved. God wants men and women and children who do not have a personal relationship with him through Christ God wants them to be saved. So the only thing that is keeping God from destroying this earth is the desire on his part for someone else to be saved. It's not because he's trying to figure things out. It's not because he's trying to, to remember. Now, how is this going to happen? No, God knows exactly how all this is going to play out, but it's because of his patience for mankind, his desire that all would come to repentance. It is that desire that has kept him from destroying this earth. So he wants people to be saved. So how are people going to be saved? We'll turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 10. 
If you choose to turn there, you'll find in Romans chapter 10 that Paul addresses this question. In Romans chapter 10, verse number 14, well, let's go to verse 13. He says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's right in line with what Peter said, that, that the Lord would desire that all would be saved or all would come to repentance. Okay, so in verse number 13, he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they going to be saved? How is this going to happen? So the question is answered in verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher now here is the answer to the question how do people get saved how is it that a person recognizes their need of salvation this is how it happens someone has to share with them the reality of their spiritual condition See, in order for a lost person to realize I have an appointment with death and I'm going to stand before God when I die and give an account for this life and I'll either be judged and, and cast into hell or, or I'll be granted entrance into heaven. But in order for them to know that Christ alone is the only one who can save and, and Christ will save them no matter their condition or their past, in order for them to know all this, someone has to tell them. They have to hear it from someone. Whenever it speaks of the preacher, it's, it's not just talking about the one who stands behind the pulpit, okay? That there has to be someone who is willing to declare the truth of the gospel to the lost. It has to happen. Think about how you got saved. Somebody says, well, I got saved because I placed my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. Right, that's how you got saved. But how did you come to that understanding and that awareness? Someone told you about that. There was a Sunday school teacher. There was a, a youth worker. There was a preacher. There was a co-worker. There was a grandmother. There was a father, a mother. That There was someone in your life who told you about Jesus. That's how you got saved. That's how you understood the spiritual condition that you were in. Somebody didn't just throw you a Bible and say, figure it out. Can a person read the Bible and come to that understanding on their own? Yes, it's possible, but that is not how the majority of salvations take place. The majority of salvations take place because someone opened their mouth and said, this is the truth about your spiritual condition. And this is the only way that you can be saved. And, and, and you have to do it God's way or it's not going to happen. So there's this lost world out there. And the only way they're going to be saved is if someone takes the gospel to them. It might be the family member, it might be the neighbor, it may be the co-worker, it may be someone else that I wouldn't mention today, but, but I'm just trying to remind us, listen, I'm trying to remind us that the only way that lost person is going to be saved is if someone is willing to go to them with the truth of the gospel. And Christ knew that. 
Obviously he knew that because in Matthew chapter 28, he gave what is often referred to as the Great Commission. What did he do? He said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptizing them which believe and discipling them, teaching them all things. This Great Commission was given. Disciples, take what you've been given, take what you've been entrusted with and go out to the world and tell others what I am able to do for them. So are we following all this? Every person who has walked on this earth, they have an appointment with death. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter who we are. They have an appointment with death. The ones that we love the most, the ones that we cherish the most, who are the dearest to us, they have an appointment with death, and they'll not be good enough to get themselves into heaven. The only way they can be saved, listen please, the only way they can be saved is by faith in Jesus Christ, Him alone. But the only way they'll hear it is if God's people speak up and say something. It's the only way it can happen. So let's go back to this subject of salvation. And let's ask ourselves this question. Have I been saved? Have I placed my faith in Christ and Christ alone? There is no question more important than that one and how you answer it. Have I placed my faith in Christ and Christ alone? If you have never done that, if you're still holding on to good works and religious activity, if that's what you're holding on to, friends, you'll come up short when you stand before God. You've got to know that. And today is the day you need to be saved. So we've got to answer that question. Have I ever been saved? Not my way, not mama's or grandmama's way, but have I been saved in the way that Scripture tells me I can be saved. Again, if you've never placed your faith in Christ and Him alone, you need to be saved. But let's just say, by, by way of argument, that, that most of us would say today, I have been saved. I know that I've placed my faith in Christ and Christ alone. Okay, then, then what have we been given? We've been given salvation. We did not earn it ourselves. Listen to this, please. We did not earn our salvation. That was given to us. So now what do we have in our possession because of God's goodness and God's mercy and God's grace? We now in our possession have salvation and eternal life. And I possess that like I possess anything else God entrusts me with. I hope we're hearing this. I possess salvation now. Listen, I possess salvation now, for lack of better words, in the same way that I possess a car and a home and clothes and a lot of other things. And as a result of God entrusting me with salvation, guess what I have the responsibility with or have a responsibility toward? I have a responsibility as it relates to and toward my salvation to be a steward of it as God has called me to be a steward of it. 
Someone says, I don't know what you mean by that. Maybe it wasn't as clear as I'd like it to be. But here's what I'm trying to communicate, that as a result of your salvation, you have a responsibility to now stewardship your salvation in the way that God tells you to, which means this, you are as much a preacher of the gospel or called to be a preacher of the gospel as I am called to be a preacher of the gospel. Your neighbor is not necessarily my responsibility. Your coworker is not necessarily my responsibility. Your parent, your child, your grandchildren, whomever it may be, they're not necessarily my responsibility. That person is now your responsibility. God entrusted you with your salvation. You now have a responsibility related to that salvation to be a good steward of it. And if we're going to be a good steward of our salvation, then we have to be willing to be the preacher who is willing to tell people of their lost condition and that Christ alone can save. So it brings up this thought. If I am to be a steward of my salvation, if I am responsible for what I have been entrusted with, the question is not, could I do more? But the question is, am I doing what is reasonably expected of me by way of my salvation? Somebody says, I, I don't understand why you're phrasing it that way. Well, let me ask us, could we always do more? Well, of course we could. I mean, it's kind of like I could wash my car every day, multiple times a day. I could do that and, and, and do it, but it's not reasonably expected of me. Okay, well, we'll take our salvation and the same principle applies. I could do more and you could do more. Let me prove it real quick. After church, here in just a few minutes, you know what all of us could do? We could all go choose the corner we wanted to stand on and become street preachers. We could do that, right? So if, if I said, hey, I got this corner and I'm going to start screaming at people when they pass by, I could do more. And you could say, okay, well, you've got that corner and I'm going to go do that corner. And understand, I'm not being critical of street preachers. I'm just saying that is something that we could do. You could leave here this morning and say, okay, based on this responsibility that I've got with the salvation that I've been entrusted with, I'm going to work tomorrow and I'm confronting everyone. You could do that, right? You'd probably be punched in the face by 8, 8.30, but you could do it. You could go to work tomorrow and say, have you ever been saved? Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If not, you're dying and going to hell one day. You could do that, but it doesn't mean that that's necessarily what is reasonably expected of you. You could say, well, okay, as a result of this message this morning and the responsibility that I have with the gospel I've been entrusted with, I'm going to go home today and I'm going to call every family member and confront them on their salvation. Could you do more? The answer is yes, you could do more. And I could do more as well. But again, that's not the question. The question is this, is am I doing what is reasonably expected of me by way of my salvation? Somebody says, I'm still not following you. I don't know that, that I still quite understand what it is you're trying to communicate. Okay, 
we can go street preach, call everyone, confront everyone, do that. But what might be more reasonable is this. To ask ourselves this question. God, do I live with an awareness that everyone around me is going to die one day? Do I really live with that awareness? Do I, do I really live with the awareness that my spouse is going to die one day, that my children are going to die one day, my, my grandchildren are going to die one day? I mean, that's a reasonable expectation to remember we're not all going to live forever. Do I really have a reasonable Am I meeting the reasonable expectation of, of just remembering people are dying? As, as, as a steward of my salvation, am I mindful of the fact that the people in my life who are going to die are going to spend eternity one day in hell or heaven, depending on their spiritual condition? I mean, let's just be honest. If we're not thinking about their death, we're not thinking about their eternity. We're not. If I'm not mindful of the fact that my neighbor is going to die, I'm not mindful of the fact that they'll spend eternity one place or another, no third option. It's reasonable of me to be aware of their death one day and the fact that they're going to, to spend eternity somewhere. So, so I, I need to answer that question. A am I aware of this? I, I think it's fair to say something like this. Am I sensitive toward the fact that some are going to hell? I mean, if we were honest, would some of us have to admit that sometimes we know it and that doesn't even bother us? Your co-worker is going to die and spend eternity in hell one day. Shouldn't that bother us? That's a reasonable expectation on us. But if we're not careful, we don't even think about it. There's a very good chance that that neighbor that you talk to when y'all are out in the front yard, there's a very good chance that they're going to die and spend eternity in hell. That should bother us. It's reasonable for us to be bothered by that. But if we're not careful, we don't even think about that. We know that this family member, if they died, if they had their appointment with death today, they'd spend eternity in hell and, and it doesn't even stir us. That's not right. Do we ever pray and say, Lord, Help me to be sensitive to, toward, toward these truths. People are dying and enter, entering into eternity, and many of them, if not most of them, are entering into hell. Are we asking God to give us opportunity to speak? That's reasonable, isn't it? To say, God, I, I want a chance to to speak to my neighbor. I want a chance to speak to my coworker. I want a chance to talk to them one more time. That's reasonable, isn't it? I'm not saying go start becoming a street preacher today. I'm saying, are, are we praying for opportunity? And when God gives those opportunities, 
Are we taking advantage of them? Or are we letting fear silence us? It's happened to most of us at least once, has it not? There's the door of opportunity. There's an awareness. There's a sensitivity. There's even a burden. But then all of a sudden, it's like fear just overwhelms us. And fear grips us. And and we know we need to say something. But this probably isn't the right time. And so we failed to say it. What needed to be said. I hope we understand the difference between what we could do versus what is reasonable. Again, the question is not, are we doing everything we could because that might not be reasonable? The question is, is are we even doing what is reasonably expected of us? You know, as the preacher, I'm putting together the thoughts this week and I'm being reminded everyone's going to die. I'm being reminded that everyone's going to spend eternity somewhere. I'm being reminded of all these truths, and I'm asking myself the questions I've presented to you this morning. And as I answer them, you know what I had to admit? I'm not near as consistent as I ought to be. Some days I live with great awareness that people are dying and going to, it's going to spend eternity somewhere. There are some days that that I'm sensitive to that, and there are other times and seasons in my life that doesn't even really enter my mind. I can pass by a neighbor's house. I I, I can speak to that person that I've spoken to on so many occasions, and it never even enters my mind. They'll spend eternity somewhere. And I need to speak up and say something. I'm asking you this morning, as we consider this subject of missions, again, before we worry about the missionaries going to all different places in this world, I'm asking us to consider this question, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Whether or not the missionary is where they're supposed to be right now is irrelevant to us. Am I the person that I'm supposed to be with this burden for the lost? And if you're not praying, and if you're not asking, and if you're not seeking opportunity, don't don't pretend that, that you're where you're needing to be right now. Maybe we just need to admit, like myself, I'm not as consistent in this as I need to be. And God, I'm asking you to help me. I'm asking you to help me because someone out there needs to hear the gospel, and only I can give it to them. I need to be the preacher. And again, if you would sit here this morning and say, I've never been saved. I've never placed my faith in Christ personally. You don't need to worry about anything else until you address that. And you can visit with me. You can visit with someone else after church on how to be saved or or to deal with you. But, But for those of us who are saved, we've been entrusted with this gift. We've got to be the right kind of steward with it and tell others about him. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. Lord, only you know the hearts of every person in this room. Lord, to think that every person here today is saved and 
on their way to heaven should they have that appointment with death today to assume that really is assuming too much God, there's no doubt that there are some people in here this morning who are just trying to make religion work, who are just trying to make good works work. It's not going to happen. And I pray that you'd make it known to their hearts today and that they would be willing to humble themselves and to call upon you to save them. But Lord, for those of us who are saved, I pray that you'd help us to be honest before you. Are we doing what is reasonably expected of us? No doubt some are, no doubt some are not, and some just struggle with consistency. I pray that you'd help us to be what we're supposed to be. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.